Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Alison, and thank you, the band, for leading us in worship this morning. If you have a Bible with you, would you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Just to give a bit of a background, before we, before we just break in at verse 21, to give a bit of a background to the, the chapter, the Lord Jesus is in the region of Galilee. He's been teaching and he comes to the conclusion of his ministry. And in verse 20, he says to the disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Just immediately prior to that, the Lord Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they give all varying reports of who that the general public in Galilee thought that he was. And then he, he came to them with, the, with the, the, the piercing question, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, being the spokesman as he always was, was the first to answer and said, you are the Christ the Son of the Living God, one of probably the, mo the greatest proclamations made by any of the disciples in all of the New Testament. So we're going to break in at verse 21, and we'll read to the end of the passage. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death, till they see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Let's just pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And we just ask you now, Father, that you would shut us in with yourself. Take away all distraction. Fill each one of us, Father, with the Holy Spirit, speaker included. And Lord, may you speak to your people this morning. May you encourage us. May you thrill our hearts, and may we go away, Lord, knowing that we've met with the risen Lord. We thank you and praise you for all your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I, I want to focus on the, the latter part of our reading, and in particular, verse 24. Over probably the past six months, verse 24 has been constantly on my mind. 
Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I found the verses both to be challenging and to be rather searching. Whenever faced with a situation or considering a certain task, if the, the verse came to mind, it would, it would prick the heart to deny oneself, to take up one's cross, and to follow Christ. And we live in a, a, a generation and in, in a day where everywhere we turn, it, we're in, encouraged to indulge ourselves. We're encouraged to live life to the full. We're encouraged to be the master of our own destiny. And one famous preacher, I'll not mention him, he's famous for all the wrong reasons. His favorite quote is that this is your best life now. And John MacArthur once retorted to say that, well, if this is your best life now, then you're going to spend eternity in hell. And that's the, the reality, folks, that if, if we think this is the best that, that we have, then we're greatly mistaken because the best is yet to come. And Jesus doesn't tell us to indulge ourselves. He doesn't tell us that this is our best life now. But Jesus tells the disciples and also tells you and me today in this generation that if anyone desires to come after him, if anyone wants the best life in the life to come, they are to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow him. To deny ourselves is the giving up of everything that we are, everything that we have, in order to follow Christ. While I was studying, I, I, I looked at a few commentaries, and I, I will break into them on occasion this morning. But Matthew Henry says these words, to de deny oneself is both the, the straight gate and the narrow way. We must deny ourselves absolutely. We must, we must not admire our own shadow, nor gratify our own humor. We must not lean on our own understanding, nor seek our own things, nor be our own end. We must deny ourselves comparatively. We must deny ourselves for Christ and his will and glory and the service of his interest in the world. We must deny ourselves for our own brethren and for their good. And we must deny ourselves for ourselves, deny the appetites of the body for the benefit of the soul. So here, Matthew Henry highlights that there's three reasons why we are to deny ourselves. First, for the sake of Christ and for, the, for his gospel and for his mission. Then, second of all, for the sake of our brethren, those who we, who we fellowship with, those who we call our brothers and sisters. And lastly, for the sake of ourselves, that we do not become corrupted with sin and live a life of wickedness. Now, I want to give you a couple of instances where this verse has, has challenged me. Back in January, February time, I was at home severely sick with COVID-19. No, it wasn't really. I was off my feet for about 12 hours and bored out of my tree for 10 days. But I was, I was at board, I was flicking through TV, and I don't often get a, an opportunity to watch TV, and 
the sort of show you how often I get to watch TV. I started watching a program on Friday there that I recorded 18 months ago, so that, that's, that's probably the height of it. But back in February, I've seen this program advertised, and some of you will know that I'm a, a massive German Shepherd fan. I, I love German Shepherds. If there's a program on about German Shepherds, it's being recorded. And this program, the leading star was a German Shepherd, and the, 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 the human leading star was Ricky Gervais. Now, I'm not a fan of Ricky Gervais, and I thought, I could struggle to watch this, but sure, there's a German Shepherd in it, so we'll do our best. But the German Shepherd was there, it was a great storyline, and there was a downside of Ricky Gervais. But anyway, I began to watch it, and almost immediately, I felt a heaviness as I watched it. To say Ricky Gervais had a mouth on him like a sewer would be an understatement. And this verse came to my mind, and yes, the German Shepherd was there, and yes, it was a great storyline, but at the back of my mind, this verse was coming to me, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now you might think, well, that's very trivial, Stephen, though it's only a TV program. But if we deny ourselves the small things, maybe when it comes to a bigger thing in life, we might then also deny ourselves again. So within five minutes, I was fed up with Ricky Gervais. I turned it off, and I haven't went back near it since. But maybe this morning, friends, you need to deny yourself of something. Maybe there's something in your life which has taken hold of you. Maybe it's an activity. And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything sinful. It could be something totally legitimate which has overtaken you, which, which has become the be-all and end-all of your life. Maybe it's a particular hobby. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you're, you're striving for something in life which has taken your mind and your heart and affection away from God. Maybe it could be something sinful. Maybe you're going down a path where you shouldn't be going. Maybe you're on the road to no town as, as, as it would be. The Lord Jesus Christ says to you this morning, deny yourself. First and foremost, deny yourself. Um, could Deacon one refresh me, please, whoever they are? God bless you. Um, Young people, we, young people who are maybe going off to university or in their latter years of school, they begin to make associations, they begin to make friends, they maybe even start into romantic relationships. And what does the Bible say to you this morning as you go about your, your, your education and, and as you step into adulthood and as you consider being friends with this one and being friends with that one and maybe starting a relationship, the Bible says to you, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what fellowship has light with darkness. It's very easy to think, oh, he's a great guy or he's a great girl and he loves me and I love him, but does he love or does she love the Lord Jesus the way you do? And it's at that point in time when you come to, to a crossroads in your life, when you've got to decide, 
Do I go down this road and follow my own desires, or do I go down a different road and follow the Lord's desires? Thank you. Maybe it's your attendance at church. Some of us in the room this morning went to Whitewell Youth growing up. I know that it was, a, it was a great time for me. But there was always something that was said at the end of every Saturday night, which has stuck with me 15 odd years later. And at the end, the, whoever was in charge that night, whether it was the youth pastor or whether it was Pastor McConnell, they always said the exact same phrase. And it was, tomorrow is the Lord's day. Be in your place. And that has stuck with me all of these years. That no matter what happens on Saturday night, yes, we're having a great time. Yes, we're having lots of fellowship. Maybe we go to somebody's house afterwards. But tomorrow's the Lord's day. Be in your place. And I think in, in 2022, we have lost a sense of that. We have lost a sense of that today is the Lord's day. That it's not your day, and it's not my day, but it's the Lord's day. And yes, I'm well aware that every day is the Lord's day, because every day that he gives us breath, it is his day. But Sunday in particularly is the Lord's day. In Acts, we read about the disciples, and it says that on the first day of the week, the disciples met together to break bread, to admonish one another, and to continue in the apostles' doctrine. To hear the word of God preached. And if you think this morning you're hard done by for listening to me for 35, 40 minutes, try being part of the early church. Because the early church, they would have sat all day and read scriptures together and broke bread. And then at one point, as we read in the Acts, that one man even fell asleep during an all-night prayer meeting. Such a such a, a passion and a desire to follow after Christ. Back to our attendance at services. Do you set up late on a Saturday night and then when it comes on a Sunday morning, you can't really be bothered? And you might not be doing anything sinful. It might be just chilling out or watching a bit of television or spending time with family, but... Does what you do on a Saturday impact how you respond to the Lord on a Sunday? I firmly, firmly believe that Sunday, as much as possible, should be set apart for the gathering of God's people and for the worship of the one who bought us and died for us. There's also something else that would tend to, to grind my gears a bit. Um, and in um, previous times I've heard, not, not in this church, but in previous times in, in, in conversation with Christians, I hear some people say, you know, we go to the, Sunday, the, the, the early service on a Sunday. And maybe this church has a split, split morning service due to the volume of people. Oh, we go, to the, we go to the early one. Oh, right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's great because you get church done and it's out of the road and have the rest of the day yourself. Or maybe a particular church doesn't have a Sunday evening service. Ah, it's great, we just go in the morning and that's it, done for the rest of the day and you can have the rest of the day to yourself. Church on a Sunday morning, folks, is not a task to be done with. 
It's not something that we just need to get out of the way. The Lord Jesus says that the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. This morning, why have you come here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Are you here because it's the tradition of your family and, and you feel that you, you need to be here in order to, you know, remember that program years ago, Mrs. Bouquet, Keeping Up Appearances? Are, are we just keeping up appearances this morning? Or are we actually gathered because we want to be here? I know probably some of the children are dragged along, you know, in my early teenage years, church on Sunday morning was probably one of the last places you wanted to be. But for us who are sitting here, who, who have driven here, who have brought ourselves here, why are we here? Is it out of duty? Is it out of compulsion? Or is it out of love? Have we gathered this morning to come and to worship the one who died for us, the one who has rescued us, the one who ever lives to make intercession for us? How about denying yourself in the service of God's kingdom? We have a fantastic children's work in this church. Throughout the, the term time there, from September to May, on a Friday night, we had 150 different children through our doors. 150 children. And I would say 90% of those children came from the estate right beside us. That was homes who, children who had never heard the gospel before, asking questions about who Jesus was, taking scripture verses home, their parents coming in through the doors and asking questions. And I see back in last summer when they, they said, you know, we need, we, need some, we need some volunteers. I was like, you know, children's work, it's not really my scene. But I can tell you, after getting involved, it is quite my scene. And I didn't realize how much I'd actually enjoy getting involved in something which I initially just dismissed. And I, I remember meeting David Dixon one day in the gym, probably before COVID kicked off. And we were, we were probably members about a year at that stage. And he says to me, you know, are you getting involved in anything? And I said, well, David, you know, life's busy. We've got a baby, you know, work's busy, home life's busy. And he said this to me, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll never forget it. He says, Stephen, put your mind to do something and give it all the time that you can. He says, because see, if you continually put things off, you'll never do anything. Maybe this morning you're, you're saying to yourself, I don't really have much time to give. If each and every person in this church gave a little bit, then there, was, there would be a lot of us, there would be a lot in the church who wouldn't have to give so much. Our Sunday school as well, fantastic work. But we need more laborers to come into the harvest. And again, the more we have on board, the less we need you. This verse also pricked me in the heart again in mid to late February, possibly March, when the, the nomination sheets were going around. And a couple of people were like, well, get your name down here. I was like, you know, I'm busy, I'm busy. I have a baby coming. And then I felt the, sp the Spirit say to me, 
If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And ultimately, assign the dotted line, and some of you will be happy with that, some of you won't be, but hey oh. But the, the life of following Jesus, it, it costs us. It's not an easy road. It's not a, it's not, you know, I'm happy all the day. I'm going to heaven and I'm going on a bed of roses. No, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road which leads to life. Matthew 25 is a great passage and particularly the the parable of the talents where the Lord gives to each gifts and some take them and use them and others discard them. I don't have time this morning to go through Matthew 25, but I would encourage you today or throughout the week that you read Matthew 25. And one thing I will say to you is please do not be like the lazy servant who was given a talent and who done nothing with it. If I've still got your attention, turn with me to Luke 9 and 23. This is the the same scenario, but from Luke's perspective. We've read it in Matthew 16, we're now going to read it in Luke 23. The same scenario, but from Luke's perspective. Verse 9 and 23 says, Then he said to them, As the Lord Jesus, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then over a couple of pages into Luke 14 and verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower doesn't sit down first and count the cost, whether it is enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, Matthew reports that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Luke reports that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. Taking up your cross isn't a one-time affair when you come to the Lord and, and you're saved and that's it. You're done and dusted. No, we're to take up our cross daily. And it says in verse 33 of, of Luke 14... Whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, no, that's, that's my cross to bear. And I, th- I think probably it's, it's quite 
a Catholic phrase, you know, that, that, that by some sort of affliction, some sort of hardship in life, God has put this upon us. He requires us to go through this trouble, and that's just my cross to bear. Well, that could be, couldn't be further from the truth. When the Lord Jesus says to us that we need to take up our cross and follow him, he is not talking about that work colleague who you find really difficult, or that family member that really annoys you, or the church member that you don't particularly like, or the financial situation that you find yourself in, or the illness that you're experiencing. Because really and truly, these are problems that everybody has at some point in their life. I find writings from John MacArthur, and I, I think these are, they're very helpful. They were helpful to me. And he says, in reference to taking up one's cross, this idea has a profound meaning which must be understood. Taking up one's cross is not some mystical level of selfless, deeper spiritual life that only the religious elite can hope to achieve, nor is it the common trials and hardships that all persons experience some time in their life. A cross is not having an unsaved husband, a nagging wife, or a domineering mother-in-law, nor is it having a physical handicap or suffering from an incurable disease. Now listen to this. To take up one's cross is simply to be willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. It is the willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake. You know, it's quite ironic because whenever, whenever we read there in Matthew uh, 16, the Lord says, or Peter says to the Lord, Lord, you're not going to the cross. Catch yourself on. There's no way you're going to the cross. And the Lord says to him, get behind me, Satan. And then he goes on a couple of verses later and he says, I'll tell you better than that. Not only am I going to the cross, but you're going to have to carry your cross. I think Isaac Watts put it perfectly when he, he penned, when I survey. And in the last verse, he says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This morning, to follow Christ isn't an easy task. It's not a light task. It's not something which we can just take and as we just take it or leave it or, or, or have a, a fluffy attitude towards it. It's all or nothing. In Mark 10, verse 17, we, we see the story of the, the rich young ruler. And it says, And now as he was going out on the road, he, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, 
and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Here the rich young ruler realizes that Jesus Christ is, is, has come from God. He, he is a great teacher. He is a great prophet. And, and he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says to him, see all the possessions that you have, everything that you love, everything that you own, sell it all, give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And it says that he went away sad. The rich young ruler refused to give his riches up for the sake of Christ. And ultimately, his love for his, his money and his wealth and all that he had took him to an eternal hell because he would not deny himself. He would not take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ. And again, in Matthew, our text this morning, the Lord says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What Jesus is saying here is basically, if you want to have everything in this world, if you want to have the best now, if you want to live your life your way now, today, then that's fine. But in eternity to come, you will be lost forever. But if you come to me and if you deny yourself and you take up your cross and, and follow me with, with fervency and, and commit everything to me, yes, you will lose your passions and desires in this life, but you will gain an eternity with me forever. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary that went to China, he was famously quoted by saying, if Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. If Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. So we have, we have looked so far at denying ourselves. We've looked at taking up our cross. Now in the last few moments, let us look at the Lord when he says, and follow me. Steve Lawson, uh, pastor and author, has written a book, um, It Will Cost You Everything. And the subtitle is What It Takes to Follow Jesus. And in this book, I, I find this, and I, I find it challenging, and I also find it very good. And, he, and the, the title says, What the Journey Costs. And he says, following Jesus is a lifelong journey that comes at a high price. This is not a relationship to be entered into lightly. This decision requires the commitment of your entire life to him. Coming to Christ demands highest priority over every other aspect of your life. It necessitates the submission of your will to his lordship. This path requires your sacrifice and even, even your willingness to suffer for him. To be sure, Jesus will not follow you. You're called to follow him. Following Christ will cost you much. It will cost you your old way of life 
and forfeiting your past sins. It will cost you a life of ease and living for this world. It will cost you old habits and old associations. It will cost you following your own agenda for your life. It will cost you time and treasure. It will cost you suffering for being identified with him. It will cost you opposition and persecution from the world. It may even cost you your life. But in the end, you gain far more than you lose. What does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? In Mark chapter 1, we, we see the Lord Jesus calling the disciples. And as he approaches the disciples, um, they, they're mending their nets, uh, and they're, they're maybe just about to go out fishing, or they've they're been fishing. And Jesus calls them, and he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And we see the urgency in their response. It wasn't a case of, aye, Jesus, come back tomorrow, we'll, we'll let you know what we think. Or can we, have a, can we have a few weeks to think about it? Can we draw up a contract? No, it was simply that immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then again, he, he, he called James and his brother John, who were also at the boat mending their nets, and immediately when they had called them, they left their father and went after him. There was an urgency in the response. There, there was a forsaking all to follow Jesus. There was no half measures. There was no, can we bring the nets with us? Can we, can we maybe do a wee bit of fishing on the side? There, there, was, there was none of that. It was a case of all or nothing commitment to Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're, you're dabbling in the world. You maybe got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Or maybe you're, you call yourself a Christian, but you're not living like a Christian. Or maybe you're not even a Christian. The cost to follow Jesus is high. The cost to follow Jesus will cost you everything. But following Jesus will take you to eternal life far beyond our, your imagination. They left their old lives behind them. Peter had a whoopsie moment and he went back and he, he says to the disciples, I'm fed up with this, I'm going fishing. And he was, he was, he was as we would say in Northern Ireland, he was scundered, he was fed up. He had lost sight of the Lord and he went back fishing. But then the Lord restored him again. And if we think we can come to Jesus and we can dabble in our old life, we can dabble in our old sins, we can live how we want, we can't. Because the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 6, he says, What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How can we who die to sin live any longer in it? I once knew a guy who went to a church not too far from here. 
And it was really, it was a sad state of affairs because one of my good friends would have worked with him on a regular basis and he would say to me, he's at it again, he's at it again. And I knew exactly what he meant. And what he meant was on a Saturday evening, this particular guy would have been out in the pubs and in the clubs, stocious drunk. But then on the Sunday morning, he would have been in the church and he would have been in playing the drums, part of the worship team. Folks, we can't live like the devil Monday to Saturday and then put on our, our Christian hat on a Sunday. We can't come in through the doors on a Sunday morning and act pious and holy and live the way we want all through the week. Yes, Sunday's the Lord's day, but every day belongs to him. As the disciples learned, it was all or nothing. We, you know, we, we, we can't be stumbling around the bar on a Saturday night half cut and then come and break bread on a Sunday morning. It doesn't work like that, folks. And whatever it may be, whether it's a particular sin or whether it's, whether it's something in your life which is taking you away from God, we can't live a double life. There's no half measures with Jesus Christ. It's either all or nothing. As Hudson Taylor said, he is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And if you think that, you know, I can, Jesus can be my savior, but maybe at some other point in my life he'll be my Lord. Doesn't work like that either. He says, come, follow, deny yourself, take up your cross, and after you've done that, then follow me. Myself and Andy Trimble were down in County Down there last week or, or a week or two ago. And because he's from that neck of the woods and I wouldn't really frequent the down area, um, he, he led the way. Normally when we're up in God's country, County Andrum, I would lead the way. But whenever we were traveling in, in convoy together, his family in one car, our family in the other car, I was following him with intent. It wasn't haphazard. I wasn't lackadaisical about it. I wasn't sort of, you know, I will, will, will pick him up somewhere down the road. I had an idea where it was going, but I didn't really know exactly where it was going. And, and for, for me to get there, I had to follow him with, with full concentration, with total intent, with my eyes firmly fixed on his car in front of me. And at one point, I couldn't even have distractions because Lydia, I think she was singing along to Frozen or something. And I was like, I need that off. I, I, I can't concentrate. I need to see where Andy's going. Turn that off. And that's how we need to follow the Lord, folks. Our eyes fixed firmly on him. He's the one that knows where he is going. He's the one that is taking us home to heaven. And we have to follow him with great intent, full concentration, eyes firmly fixed on him. And the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 12 sums it up perfectly. After having spoken about the great men and women of faith, he then says in, verse 12, or in chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And I, I love this verse. I love it with all of my heart. Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, this morning, Jesus Christ didn't have to go to Calvary's cross. Yes, in order to save us, he did. But he didn't have to go. He could have said, I'm not going. He could have said, this is too much of a burden. This is too much of a task. I'm not going. But Jesus, as the writer of the Hebrews says, but for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? To have you and me part of his kingdom with him for all eternity. For that great joy, to call you his son and his daughter, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God this morning. We have a, an off, awesome Savior. We have one who has given all that we might live forever. Let us deny ourselves. Let us take up our cross. And let us follow him. Amen.